Welcome to the Monday Morning Message, a podcast of Grace Community Church in Delaware, where we discuss biblical issues and biblical implications that might not come up on a normal Sunday morning. This podcast is an opportunity for us to dive a little deeper and with a little more specificity into our biblical studies and where they intersect with our daily life. My name is Paul Shirley. I am the pastor of Grace Community Church. Now, this Monday, April 13th, the elders of our church have asked our congregation and invited other congregations to participate in a day of prayer as we continue to endure this COVID-19 coronavirus outbreak. We feel that it is an important time for our church and as many other Christians as want to participate to be beseeching the Lord for his mercy upon our world, our nation, and our own communities, and especially to be praying to the Lord concerning the impact that all of these things are having on his kingdom and on his people. And so we've asked our church to consider today a day of special prayer, and that might mean that uh, you pray extra today or you devote your prayer specifically to this issue in a unique way. Uh, Some might employ fasting as an opportunity to focus more on prayer. Some might gather their families hourly or for hours of prayer. Uh, We certainly don't have one way in which we are to gather for prayer. There's a lot of liberty on how we can do that. But we are asking that you would make prayer, especially for the issues of our day, a priority. And just as we think about prayer and the priority that it needs to play, not only in our life in an everyday way, but especially during times of unique trials, I think it's important to go back to the scriptures and remind ourselves of a few key principles concerning prayer. Of course, we remember what First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, instructs us when it says that we are to pray without ceasing. Of course, there's much that could be said about this, but in the context of Paul's instruction to this young church in Thessalonica, one thing is clear, and it is that a useful church must be a praying church. Prayer is at the heart of usefulness to the Lord. And so we need to understand how prayer functions in the ministry of the church. And I think one of the things that we need to ask and remind ourselves of constantly is why do we pray? Why do we go to the Lord in prayer? And of course, part of the answer to that question is that we pray because it's our duty to pray. We have a biblical obligation to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul commands prayer, and so does the rest of the Bible. So we pray because God said to pray. Additionally, though, we pray because prayer is an opportunity. Prayer is an opportunity to be a part of God's plan. It's an opportunity for us to be uh, a part of the outworking of God's divine will. It's an opportunity for us to be used by the Lord. In fact, we can, as we look at Scripture, go so far as to say that if we do not pray for something, we might not get it. 
You'll remember the words of Matthew chapter 7, verses 7-11, through 11, where Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find it. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Jesus goes on, Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In other words, when we go to the Lord in prayer, we have the opportunity to receive the blessings of our Heavenly Father. Prayer is an opportunity. It's also, when we're thinking about why should we pray, we need to recognize that it's also an ordained means of grace. Prayer is one of the ways that God has promised to pour out his helping grace into our lives. As we go to the Lord in prayer, it deepens our dependence upon him. It strengthens our faith in him. It confronts us with the ongoing reality that God is at work and God is working for our good. And so we pray because it's an obligation, it's an opportunity, and it is an ordained means of grace. But that might lead someone to ask, well, how then do our prayers work? If God is sovereign, then why do we need to pray? Well, whenever I'm asked that question, I usually like to flip it on its head. If God were not sovereign, if God was not able to save the lost, if God was not able to change our circumstances, in other words, if God was not sovereign, then why would you pray? Uh, If God could not affect any change in our circumstances, then it would be uh, a, a vain exercise to go to the Lord in prayer. But of course, that's not the case. The Bible makes it clear that there is great power in our prayers, and there's great power in our prayers because there's great power in our God. And one of the things that our powerful God has chosen to do is he has chosen to use our prayers in order to accomplish his purposes. In fact, a wonderful example of this from the scripture is from the book of Genesis in chapter 18, where God reveals to Abraham his plan to destroy the cities of the valley with Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham intercedes for the people. And you might remember that intercessory prayer where Abraham says, suppose there are 50 righteous in the city, and and he goes all the way down and says, suppose there are 10 righteous in the city. You might say, well, wait a minute, that's not a really good example of the power of prayer because Abraham prayed all that and God still destroyed the cities. He still destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes, but he did not forget Abraham's prayer. In fact, you might remember that God saved Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. And in Genesis 19, verse 29, it tells us a little bit about Lot's salvation from God's punishment when it says, So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. Did you catch that? God remembered Abraham. He remembered Abraham's prayer. He used Abraham's prayer 
as a part of his sovereign purposes to save Lot out of the midst of the overflow. Of course, another example of how this works is seen in the area of salvation. God sovereignly saves sinners, but he has chosen to use the means of evangelism, of proclaiming the gospel in order to accomplish that sovereign purpose. And so in a similar way, God accomplishes his sovereign purposes often through our prayers. You say, well, why would God do it that way? Well, God uses prayers because it uniquely glorifies him to answer our prayers. Sure, God can and often does accomplish his purposes apart from our prayers. However, when he chooses to use our prayers, it makes it clear to us that he is at work. How encouraging is it when we pray for something and the Lord uses those prayers and answers those prayers in specific ways? The Lord doesn't have to do that, but he does it so that he can be glorified, and he does it so that our faith in him will be strengthened. And that, In fact, that's one of the great benefits to prayer. That's one of the reasons why the Lord uses prayers. It's because it uniquely forces us to depend upon him and acknowledge our need for his grace. Our prayers make it clear that we need God. And so that's how our prayers work in God's plan. And that's why praying is important. And since praying is so important, it is helpful for us to think a little bit about how then we should pray. And of course, there are a number of biblical passages, including when the Lord gave uh, an exemplary prayer for his disciples in Matthew chapter 6. Those are all wonderful verses in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, that explain uh, so much of how we should pray. And so there are a number of places in the scripture that we could look, but just a few principles on how you can be an effective prayer. Uh, one is pray regularly. Make it a pattern in your life. And that's part of what Paul's saying in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 when he says pray without ceasing. It's a consistent, enduring pattern of prayer in your life. Seek to cultivate a pattern of prayer in your life. Additionally, when you pray, pray accurately. Pray in accordance with God's truth. Praise God for what you read of him in the Bible. Identify his promises from Scripture and pray according to those promises. Pray according to the will of God. Praying accurately, that is in accordance with biblical truth, is a key to be an effective prayer. To that, I would also add on a practical note, pray intentionally. It's so easy to become distracted with what you might call a free-form prayer where you just kind of start praying and you don't have a lot of direction on where you're going to go or what you want to pray for. And I think the opposite danger is to just write out a list and move through your prayers almost like a grocery list. And so uh, somewhere between uh, overly structuring your prayers and um, getting confused and lost and distracted in unstructured prayers, uh, you need to find a way to pray intentionally. And one of the ways I like to do that is I like to start my prayers with praising the Lord for who he is. I like to read through a psalm and pray through that psalm and praise the Lord for what I see about him in those texts. And then as I consider 
who God is, it's an opportunity for me to confess my own sins and repent of areas where I fall short of his character. From there, it's easy for me to offer my thanksgiving to the Lord and be thankful for all that God has done. And of course, once I've praised the Lord and confessed sin and thanked him for his grace, there are plenty of prayer requests and supplication that I can lift before the Lord. And often I'll start with my own heart and my own needs and my own life, and then I'll move to my immediate family and then others who are closest to me and then to my church family uh, and then to those who are in my sphere of influence outside of the church uh, and then to those in my community and government officials. And of course, when I pray for my church. I pray also for the missionaries that our church supports and partners with. So there's lots of ways that you can organize your prayers and make sure that you pray intentionally. I would just encourage you to try to put together some kind of form so that you are not so easily distracted. And to this, I would also say pray specifically. Pray for specific conversions of people that you know. Pray that the Lord would open their hearts. Pray for specific discipleship relationships that you're in. Pray for specific areas of your heart that you want the Lord to sanctify. Pray especially if you have children for your children's salvation. Pray for your marriage. Pray for areas of your marriage where you see weaknesses. Pray for your church. Pray for your elders. Pray for your pastors. And pray for the leaders that God has given over you in your government. Pray specifically as you are going before the Lord. And as you do all of this, keep in mind how important all of these things are, but also keep in mind the priority of spiritual prayer requests. In fact, even as we're calling for a day of prayer in our own church on April 13th, we're asking our church to prioritize prayers for gospel ministry. We're asking our people to pray for the end of this outbreak. We're asking people to pray for our government leaders. We're asking people to pray even for the uh, impact that all of this will have on our economy and even people in our own church who have already lost their jobs. But in the midst of all this, we are also asking our people to prioritize the gospel opportunities that will come out of this. In fact, I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, when he says, Finally, brothers, pray for us. And this is interesting because Paul is writing to a people who were persecuted for their faith. Some of these believers may have even had friends and family members who were martyred for their faith. We don't know for sure, but that's a possibility of how some of the Thessalonian believers had fallen asleep, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. Additionally, Paul was writing as someone who was persecuted and oppressed for the gospel. And so it's interesting to see where his priorities in prayer were. One might expect him to say, you need to pray for yourself that you'd be delivered from your persecution. That's your priority. Or he might say, pray for me that I won't get thrown in jail again. But instead he says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Then, verse 2, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. In other words, it's not wrong to pray for both of those things, but the priority 
is the proclamation and the reception of the gospel. And that's really what we're praying for in our day. We know the Lord's doing his work. We know the Lord is saving sinners. That's who he is. He's a loving and kind God who sovereignly redeems those who do not deserve it. So we know he's at work doing those things. And we need to make sure that we are praying that in the midst of this crisis, that the word of God would speed ahead and be honored, that is received, heard worshipfully by those who need to believe in Jesus and be saved. And so on this day of prayer, that's what we would ask you to prioritize in your prayers. Pray for all the needs that will come through this crisis, both presently and in the days to come. But pray also that the Lord would allow the truth of the gospel to shine forth and that sinners in need of salvation would hear the gospel and believe in Christ as their Savior.